0: Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Thank you for joining us. We are going to be focusing on uh, one particular band today. This is one of my very favorite bands from the swing era. They uh, had no imitators because they were so original. Not the Duke Ellington band, but a band that Ellington was uh, very fond of himself and and went out of his way to compliment. This was the band that was led by Jimmy Lunsford. Now, Jimmy Lunsford was a multi-instrumentalist. He was a a teacher who had been born in uh, Mississippi in 1902. His family relocated to the Denver area, first Oklahoma City, and then the Denver area shortly after he was born. He started playing lots of different instruments. Violin and viola uh, were his primary instruments for a while. He studied with Wilberforce Whiteman, Paul Whiteman's father, and got a thorough grounding in music theory and uh, music... Technique and so forth. He also played piano. He played saxophone. He played flute. Played a lot of different things. Uh, He went to Fisk University. His uh, family was upper middle class uh, in the African American community at the time, and so he benefited from a very fine college education. Uh, I think he majored in education. He was. uh, a proponent of athletics, and he ended up teaching at a high school, uh, being what I guess we'd have to call today as a phys ed teacher. Um, While he was there, this would have been in the middle 1920s or so, he put together a band that he called the Chickasaw Syncopators, and this was uh, in Tennessee as well. Uh, Several other alums of Fisk University were in that band, and uh, he started evolving the style that he came to be known for, which was a very tightly organized uh, ensemble that used very intricate and uh, well-played arrangements. He put a very high premium on musicianship. And this was a little bit unusual for an African-American band of the day, not that they weren't musical, but they tended to uh, emphasize soloing and improvisation more during this jazz age. And Lunsford had some very fine soloists in his band, as we will hear going forward, but the arrangements were really the star of the band. And uh, by all accounts, if you were fortunate enough to hear the band in person, or if you see them uh, on a couple of the films that they made uh, in the 1930s, the presentation of the music was also quite vital to the success of the band. They were a show band. They uh, threw uh, trumpets in the air and uh, did dance routines. Uh, Many of the musicians also did comic turns. They were a whole show in and of themselves. And uh, unusually for a group that put such a high premium on showmanship, they were also uh, faultlessly musical. They uh, managed to marry those two elements, the musicality and the showmanship, and they were quite popular in their day because of that. So in the 19, late 1920s to the early 1930s, as I said, the band kind of evolved as a territory band. Uh, they made their first recordings in 1927, and then they came to New York in about 1933. They made their first recordings there. The band had been expanding, and uh, they landed a very plum job uh, at the Cotton Club after uh, Ellington was long gone and Cab Calloway had left. They uh, were put into the Cotton Club to play for shows. Uh, initially, it didn't go very well, but they uh, were a strong enough musicians. They figured it out, and they became an excellent uh, backing band for different show acts and things like that. They made a series of recordings, not, not too many of them, only about a half dozen or eight or so, for the RCA Victor label in 1933 and early 34. Uh, but they were signed to a contract for Decca Records. And in various podcasts, we've talked about Decca Records. Decca um, Jack Kapp had left Brunswick and uh, founded DECA as a kind of a budget alternative uh, during these Depression-era times. In England there was a record label called DECA and uh, I guess Jack Kapp was hired to provide an American uh, version of that. And in the fall of 1934 he hired quite a few bands to come in and start making records. Basically, he was casting his net fairly wide. He had uh, used quite a few uh, African-American bands and uh, acts uh, during his time with Brunswick, and uh, he was very um, open to the idea of black bands uh, playing on Decca, and so he had lots of them come in and start making recording sessions, and gradually uh, the successful ones continued, and the unsuccessful ones didn't. We played the first Decca sessions of the Fletcher Henderson Band in the fall of 1934. Another podcast. We did the Earl Hines big band sessions uh, about the same time. Uh, we uh, have heard some Chick Webb recordings from that period. Also, Louis Armstrong was a big hit uh, on DECA, as were the Mills Brothers. And those brothers were consistently a uh, big seller on DECA. But one of the biggest sellers, uh, instrumentally speaking anyway, was the Jimmy Lunsford band. They began recording for DECA in September of 1934, right at the very beginning of uh, Decca. Some of the first releases were, in fact, theirs. And we're going to listen to uh, a series of recordings made by Lunsford during their first Decca period, we'll have to call it, from 1934 up through 1938. They recorded exclusively for DECA for commercial purposes, and um, they really evolved uh, the public persona of their style. They M- had numerous classic recordings, and even the ones that aren't well known are extremely musical and very interesting. As I said, the arrangements were largely the star of the Lunsford Band, although fine soloists abound. They had uh, two streams of of, of arrangements coming to them. One was by the great arranger and uh, trumpet player in the band, Cy Oliver. And Cy Oliver probably was responsible more than anyone for uh, the sound of the Lunsford Band during this period. He had uh, been arranging for other territory bands, like Zach White's band in the the late 20s uh, before he joined Lunsford. Um, But he was a very uh, original arranger. He had a... an immense uh, repertoire of sounds and timbres that he would include in his arrangements and that coupled with an extraordinary imagination and a sense of humor really set the style pretty well. Having said that, we're not going to listen to any of Cy Oliver's arrangements today. There are so many great Lunsford recordings, I've decided to break this podcast into two parts. Uh, The second part, which I'm going to start uh, with on WETF, my show in uh, South Bend, Indiana, will be the Cy Oliver arrangements, and some of them will be more familiar than the things we're going to play today. Today, in part one of our Jimmy Lunsford program, we're going to focus on the arrangements that were not done by Cy Oliver. Uh, Before Oliver had joined the band, uh, the piano player, Edwin Wilcox, was largely responsible for the arrangements. He was an excellent arranger, a good piano player, and uh, he had been with Lunsford since the early days. Ad has had their lead alto player, Willie Smith, and Willie Smith did quite a few arrangements. Uh, As time went on, and Smith uh, concentrated more on his uh, saxophone section playing, and his uh, soloing, he sort of dropped off the arrangement chart, but we'll hear uh, half a dozen or more of his arrangements in this program. Later, when he went with Harry James and Duke Ellington, and uh, before that with Charlie Spivak, he would very occasionally do an arrangement, but um, he had pretty much given up that side of the business by 1936 or 37 or so. We'll also hear some arrangements by the great Eddie Durham, the guitar player from Kansas City. Played trombone and guitar, I should say. He had arranged for Benny Moten's band in the early 30s, actually the late 20s and early 30s. um, And he was uh, to do a short period with the um, Lunsford Band before returning to his Kansas City roots and the Count Basie Band. And we may do a program on him at some point later. So we're going to start out with the very first tune from the very first session for... Decca, in September, September 4th of 1934. This is the Jimmy Lunsford Orchestra, and we're going to hear a Willie Smith arrangement of a Duke Ellington tune called Sophisticated Lady. Uh, It's been mentioned that in the first two sessions, which are September 4th and 5th of 1934, um, four out of the eight tunes that were recorded... were actually Duke Ellington tunes or associated with Duke Ellington. That's how uh, prominent the Ellington influence was at the time. This is nothing like the Ellington arrangement of Sophisticated Lady, though. Willie Smith uh, excelled in leading the saxophone section, but he wrote some beautiful saxophone section passages as well, which we will hear. And we'll also hear him on clarinet. So in this band at the time were three trumpet players. We had Cy Oliver, who of course was doing some of the arranging, as I mentioned. Um, He played a lot of the muted trumpet solos. He, uh, by his own admission, was not a very uh, accomplished jazz soloist, and he would actually write his solos into the arrangements, and we'll hear again more of those on the part two of our Lunsford program. We also have Tommy Stevenson on trumpet, and Eddie Tompkins, Uh, doing some trumpet and vocals, which we may or may not hear. He was responsible for the high note finishes, at least for now. He will be replaced a little bit later by Paul Webster, but for now the high notes are Eddie Tompkins. On trombone we have Russell Bowles and Henry Wells. Henry Wells also did some singing. He was the brother of the much more famous trombonist Dickie Wells. In the saxophone section, we have possibly Jimmy Lunsford occasionally picking up an alto sax to to join in on the uh, Soli passages, but led uh, the saxophone section was led, as I said, by Willie Smith on alto and clarinet. He also played quite a bit of baritone sax as time went on. The regular baritone sax player was Earl Carruthers, and his sound, uh, as Gunther Schuller has pointed out, was just as important to the sound of this band as Harry Carney's was to uh, Ellington's band. And Carney was a big admirer of the Lunsford band, by the way, and probably... Uh, had an ear open to Earl Carruthers as well. Also in the saxophone section, we have Lafferette Dent on clarinet and alto saxophone for these first sessions. He was a Uh, Kansas City musician who had played with Benny Moten's band, and we have Joe Thomas on clarinet and tenor sax. He was the tenor sax soloist, and he was one of the most emotional soloists in the band. He uh, wasn't featured all that much in the early years, although he was occasionally. He had that big romantic-sounding tenor style that was uh, made uh, popular by Coleman Hawkins at the time. He will also do some singing later on. Everybody in this band sang, it seemed to be. Eddie Wilcox uh, played piano, as I mentioned. He also did quite a bit of arranging. Al Norris was on guitar. Moses Allen was a bass player. He had been with Lunsford since the early days. And Jimmy Crawford, who was probably the uh, unsung or most important member of the band, played drums. And he was a great drum stylist and colorist, uh, an excellent musician in his own right. He ended up uh, being one of the earliest black musicians to play in Broadway pit bands, which spoke highly of his abilities. So the tunes we're going to hear in this first set, as I mentioned, Sophisticated Lady, beautiful Willie Smith arrangement uh, of that uh, Ellington tune from September 4th. From September 5th of 1934, we're going to hear uh, Stratosphere, which was an Eddie Wilcox arrangement, which uh, apparently had input from Lunsford as well. We can imagine most of these had input from Lunsford, but he got some arranging credit as well. Following that, we're going to jump ahead to uh, another uh, recording date, and we're going to hear a, a really amazing arrangement of a tune called Sleepy Time Gal, which was a fairly old tune at that point, and uh, it's uh, set apart by a really remarkable um, saxophone section uh, playing, saxophone soli section. It uh, is, uh, almost sounds computer generated. It's so neatly done and uh, definitely something that uh, other bands must have drooled over. Uh, Willie Smith proves his metal as a great uh, lead alto player in this case and um, as well as a soloist, of course, and that's called, as I said, Sleepy Time Gal. And that's done as another Edwin Wilcox arrangement, and that uh, was done from May 29th of 1935. By this point, the band had changed a little bit. As I said, uh, Tommy Stevenson uh, uh, had done some of the trumpet solos. He was replaced by Paul Webster, uh, who generally took over uh, the high notes from Eddie Tompkins. Tompkins was still with the band, and Cy Oliver was still there as well. Russell Bowles was with Elmer Crumbly on trombone. Any of the trombone solos from this point are by Elmer Crumbly. Uh, Eddie Durham had joined the band as a trombone player. He also takes an occasional amplified guitar solo, some of the earliest ones in the big band repertoire. The saxophone section uh, was similar. Willie Smith, Lafra Dent, Joe Thomas, and Earl Carruthers joined by a fifth saxophonist, vocalist Dan Grissom, who was a a good enough saxophone and clarinet player to play in this group, which is uh, high praise indeed. And the rhythm section is still Eddie Wilcox, Al Norris, Mose Allen, and Jimmy Crawford. So after Sleepy Time, Gal, we're going to finish up that short set with another tune from May 29, 1935, Runnin' Wild, the jazz standard arranged by Willie Smith. And we'll hear some good Willie Smith solos on both clarinet and alto as we go along. So those are our four tunes for our first set. Sophisticated Lady, Stratosphere, Sleepy Time, Gal, and Runnin' Wild. Bye. some very inventive arranging and playing on those four tunes from the very earliest uh, Jimmy Lunsford sides We started out with Sophisticated Lady, a beautifully played arrangement, very sophisticated arrangement with a lovely clarinet solo at the beginning by Willie Smith. He uh, was a was a was a better than good clarinet player. He did many, if not most of the clarinet solos for the Lunsford band. Joe Thomas did a couple, I think Dan Grissom even did one or two. But um, you could always tell Willie Smith's style. He sounded like a big tone saxophone player on clarinet. And then, of course, leading the saxophone section there, beautiful saxophone solely pass in an arrangement written by him. After that, we went to Stratosphere, and that was an unusual tune, um, very modernistic for 1934. Um, Some of the whole-tone effects and and the dissonances sort of call to mind some of the other tunes from that period or slightly earlier that were... Plumbing the same depths, I guess. Things like Chant of the Weed from Don Redman or uh, Queer Notions by Horace Henderson just being um, intentionally uh, modern-sounding. And that challenged the soloists as well. We had some very good uh, playing in there, including by, I think it was Tommy Stevenson on trumpet. Following that, we went to uh, that wonderful saxophone uh, feature, saxophone section feature, Sleepy Time Gal, arranged by Edwin Wilcox. Uh, That was... uh, really the woodwind section, the clarinets at the beginning and then the saxophones later on. And apparently that was a longer arrangement uh, that had another difficult clarinet passage that was excised for the uh, recording. And you get the feeling, listening to a lot of these Lunsford arrangements, that they had to be truncated for the recording limits, the three minutes of a standard 78 RPM. unfortunate that we don't have full recordings of a lot of these, but uh, they may exist someplace. So the Jimmy Lunsford Library after he passed away passed to his uh, tenor player, Joe Thomas, who led the band for a few years, and the story goes that when Billy May was doing those big band recreations in the 1960s, he uh, decided to do a Lunsford recreation and interviewed later in life, he said that was by far the hardest one he had to do, trying to transcribe all those arrangements because they were so incredibly difficult and intricate um, and he often hired Members of the bands, uh, the original bands, to come in and do the recording sessions. And uh, he did have Willie Smith and Dan Grissom and Trummy Young and Joe Thomas uh, come in and play on that session. And Joe Thomas, uh, who had been out of the music biz for a while, I think he was an undertaker actually. Uh, had a marvelous time during doing the sessions. He said it was like revisiting old friends, and he said he was so interested uh, now, his interest had been so uh, reawakened in those arrangements, he was going to go home and go down to the basement and look at all the original charts, and Billy, Smith, Billy May almost keeled over, thinking that those charts had been his for the asking, rather than having to transcribe them all. Anyway, we're going to go on now to the next uh, little series of Lunchford Recordings for DECA. We're going to go up to... Um, September 23rd of 1935, and more or less the same band from the last session, there was a pretty good consistency of personnel throughout the Lunsford years here in the 30s, we're going to hear an Eddie Durham arrangement of Oh Boy, and this is uh, getting into more swing territory here, but still with a lot of intricate passage work and interesting um, introductions and transitions, which were kind of the hallmark of the Lunsford band. Following that, we're going to go on to uh, an arrangement of the standard, Avalon, again by Eddie Durham, some interesting harmonic effects here. Then a uh, tune called Hit in the Bottle, a novelty tune, and there were a lot of novelty tunes uh, done by the Lunsford band, but they were all interesting because of the arrangements. Yet another Eddie Durham arrangement, and this will feature Cy Oliver on vocals, and Cy Oliver was one of the vocal stars of the band. Not because he was a great singer, but he had a very engaging delivery, uh, and again, a very great sense of humor in his uh, presentation. Then we're going to hear a another novelty tune, I'm Nuts About Screwy Music, which has really neat lyrics, I have to say, and they are declaimed by Willie Smith in this Edwin Wilcox arrangement. The tune itself was by Fred Rose, who... um composed quite a lot of songs for Tin Alley and later moved into the country music field and did quite a lot down in Nashville. But um, the arrangement is the star here, too, uh, giving some musical uh, definition to the idea of uh, lunacy and craziness and so forth. Then we're going to finish up with uh, a tune called uh, Harlem Shout, and this is uh, going more into the swing era, but with Armstrong, with with Lunsford's uh, own particular take on this, and uh, we'll hear some excellent solos as well. So this is really, with the exception of uh, I'm Nuts About Screwy Music, the Edwin Wilcox arrangement, these are all Eddie Durham arrangements. So uh, Lunsford was relying on him to... uh, supplement the Cy Oliver scores that were coming out. Wilcox still did a few. Willie Smith only did a couple more uh, in the rest of the uh, career of the band, which was unfortunate because he was clearly a very good arranger as well. So those will be our tunes for this uh, little set. Oh Boy, Avalon, "Hitting the Bottle, I'm Nuts About Screwy Music, and Harlem Shout.
1: take a bottle, an old empty bottle Then you find a level place upon the floor to place that bottle Next you start to toddle, keep watch on the bottle Then you step around a bit, be careful not to hit that bottle Whoa, just like a clown, start messing around Keep going through town Then you make a break and you wiggle like a snake that's hitting that bottle It's easy to do, cause every, everybody hits the bottom. On the second floor, I talked with a patient, room 234, I said you don't look crazy, can't see why you're here, he sort of looked at me and smiled and whispered in my ear, I'm nuts about screwy music, I'm screwy about nutty rhythm." I'm dilly of all silly melodies, crazy as a loon can be. I'm daffy about goofy tempo. I'm goofy about daffy changes. I'm dippy of all dizzy harmony written in a minor key. I love to hear sounds that are queer. I'm eccentric, they say. There's a boot in a flute or a mellow moaning cello. I'm nuts about screwy music.
2: I'm
1: screwy about nutty rhythm. I'm dilly of all silly melodies, crazy as a loon can be. you mm-hmm.
0: Once again, a lot of different arranging techniques going on in there, and all the same band. Very musical organization. We started out with the Eddie Durham tune and arrangement, Oh Boy, which featured quite a few soloists, on short solos anyway. Joe Thomas on tenor, Willie Smith on alto, Paul Webster on trumpet, and Elmer Crumbly on trombone. So, more of a jazzy arrangement there, from September 23 of 1935. Following that, we went to Avalon, another Eddie Durham arrangement, very creative, a lot of chances taken with harmonies in there and shifting, uh, chord changes and, 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 uh, key relationships and things like that. Um, that was something that Cy Oliver did quite a bit of, and perhaps Eddie Durham learned a little bit from that. We also had a trombone trio in there, which featured, uh, Elmer Crumbly, Russell Bowles, and Eddie Durham on trombone. We had some good alto and tenor again by Smith and Thomas, some, uh, Elmer Crumbly trombone at the end, a nice trombone solo, and we get to hear a little bit of Cy Oliver's muted trumpet playing in there, too. We also get to hear a little bit of Cy Oliver on the next tune, "Hitting the Bottle," which he also sings on. An interesting uh, little tune, where with an aside about everybody uh, hits the bottle, but Jimmy. Jimmy Lunsford was a, a renowned teetotaler and physical fitness buff. Um, that tune features a little bit of Eddie Durham's resonator steel guitar, national guitar, on uh, the opening, and we'll hear some guitar solos coming up a little bit later. Of course, he was featured a little bit better with the Basie band on that, and he's usually given credit for being one of the first. Uh, jazz players to use an amplified guitar Uh, some of the western swing bands were using it especially Milton Brown um, uh, with Bob Dunn but uh, Durham was one of the first jazz players to do that we also got to hear a little piano uh, by Edmund Wilcox he wasn't known as a soloist but he uh, got a little about six or eight measures in there on that arrangement and then a clarinet solo towards the end which I don't think was by Willie Smith it might have been by um, uh, Joe Thomas at that point point. Following that, we go to one of the most interesting tunes. I'm nuts about screwy music that uh, Lunsford ever recorded. That's uh, the Fred Rose tune. has just neat lyrics about (laughs) lunacy and institutionalization, all sorts of fun stuff. And Eddie Durham or Eddie Wilcox rather runs with that in his arrangement. He has all kinds of modernistic and dissonant effects suggesting insanity and. Obviously a fun arrangement. and We heard some, uh, again, saxophone by Willie Smith on alto and Joe Thomas on tenor, and we heard some Paul Webster on trumpet doing some high notes, which we will hear more of on the next tune, which was the last tune of the set, Harlem Shout, the Eddie Durham tune and arrangement, sort of based on I Got Rhythm or the chord changes to that. We got to hear uh, Paul Webster finishing off that performance, a good shouting performance. As the notes point out, that was a a flag waver. All the bands had to have those to get the audience up and, and, and jumping around at the end of sets. And we also heard, of course, some Willie Smith. We got to hear a little bit of Earl Carruthers on baritone sax there as well. So for our last set, we're going to hear some more Eddie Durham and some more Edwin Wilcox and one uh, uh, Willie Smith arrangement as well. So we still have uh, lots of interesting things happening here. And as I will uh, point out on our second Lunsford podcast, uh, it will be taken from my radio show on WETF, we will hear a lot of Cy Oliver arrangements. So you can hear some of the differences in the... the, um, performances between the Oliver arrangements and the other ones. But the band was faultlessly musical at this point, so really they could play anything. They were just about one of the most crack musical organizations there was during the swing era. So we're going to start out this set with an Edwin Wilcox arrangement of I'll See You In My Dreams, which will introduce us to their main uh, romantic vocalist, Dan Grissom, who was a saxophone player as well, and uh, some interesting effects there. Then we're going to hear the Willie Smith arrangement I've been alluding to, Put On Your Old Gray Bonnet, which was really a a, a kind of a, a stage show in itself. It was a virtuoso arrangement done with a kind of a smaller group from the Lunsford Band, uh, Eddie Tompkins on trumpet, who had joined the trumpet section, uh, Willie Smith on clarinet and Joe Thomas on tenor, along with Al Norris on guitar, and some band backing and some very fancy uh, vocalizing and uh, very fast uh, uh, melodic playing as well. That's from July 8th of 1937. I'll See You In My Dreams was from January 20th of 1937. Band had changed a little bit with Cy Oliver, Paul Webster, and now Eddie Tompkins in the uh, trumpet section. Bowles and Crumbly on trombone, while Eddie Durham was still with the band on trombone and guitar. Willie Smith, Dan Grissom, Joe Thomas, and Earl Carruthers in the saxophone section, joined by Ed Brown on clarinet, alto, and possibly tenor, and the same rhythm section, Wilcox, Norris, Allen, and Crawford. So following that, we'll go to another Eddie Durham arrangement and composition called Pigeon Walk, which has a... uh, a, a, Interesting and characteristic introduction that uh, Durham later reused on one of his Count Basie arrangements. This is from November 5th of 1937, and will also introduce us to another trombone player. By now, Eddie Durham had left the band to go back with or to go to Count Basie, and Trummy Young came in on trombone and vocals. Uh, He had been with the Earl Hines band for three or four years prior to that, and uh, he became one of the primary soloists with Willie Smith in this band, and also a great entertainer. Also, we have Teddy Buckner on alto sax replacing Ed Brown. He gets a solo here and there, which we'll hear more on the Cy Oliver uh, part of the podcast. But other than that, the same band. So... After Pigeon Walk, we're going to go to an unusual tune called Frisco Fog, and this is done by an outside arranger, a man named Leon Carr. And uh, it fits in very nicely to the Lunsford canon here, but uh, he was beginning to, Lunsford was beginning to take on some arrangements by other players. The style was well known by that point, and other arrangers were able to come in and... uh, recreate or or, or continue the style of the Lunsford band, which was a good thing because Cy Oliver was going to be leaving within about uh, two years to go with Tommy Dorsey's band. And then a couple of years after that, Willie Smith left as well. But um, they certainly had a, a long period of excellent recordings. Following Frisco Fog, we're going to end up with uh, one of the last tunes recorded for this first uh, Decca period of the Lunsford Band. They went back with Decca a few years later, but uh, we're concentrating on the early one. We're going to hear an Edwin Wilcox arrangement of the old Chestnut, My Melancholy Baby, again featuring Dan Grissom on vocal. So those are our tunes for this set. I'll See You in My Dreams, Put On Your Old Gray Bonnet, Pigeon Walk, Frisco Fog, and Melancholy Baby. (laughs)
3: That once were mine tender eyes that shine, they will light my way tonight. I'll see you in
2: my
1: to the shade ah, yeah, yeah. through
3: fist, clover yeah. gone on the Dover we'll dig cats like this over Dover Come to me, my melancholy baby Cuddle up and don't feel blue All your fears are foolish fancies, baby You know, dear, that I'm in love with you Every cloud must have Silver lining Wait until the sun
2: shines
3: through So smile my honey dear While I kiss away each tear Or else I shall be melancholy too
0: There's our Jimmy Lunsford program for the day. We ended up, more or less as we started, with a very straight... Tune and uh, kind of a two beat feel to it, as Lunsford's uh, band was wont to do, featuring the saxophone section. That was Melancholy Baby, an Eddie Wilcox arrangement uh, featuring the William Smith led saxophone section. Really wonderful uh, sound in that saxophone section. There weren't any big band saxophone sections in the 30s that were as good as that one, uh, it was precision of playing and all. Also, got to hear a little of the arranger's piano behind the, uh, the brass soli section as well. Before that, we heard that weird tune, Frisco Fog, by Leon Carr, and uh, that was uh, an arrangement by him. It was a suitably moody one that, uh, again, sort of mined uh, those uh, exotic effects that we had talked about with uh, some of those earlier tunes, particularly Stratosphere and things like that. Um, We got to hear uh, a little bit of uh, some of the soloists in there as well. We got to hear... um, Possibly Cy Oliver on trumpet, although that muted trumpet didn't sound like him. That might have been Eddie Tompkins in that case, and Joe Thomas on tenor. That was from November of 1937. The uh, uh, other tune we mentioned was from April of 1938, Melancholy Baby. Also from the November 37 uh, session came Pigeon Walk, the Eddie Durham tune. Eddie Durham had already left the band by this point. He was uh, gone by, uh, I think, the summer of 19... um, Thirty-seven, uh, and was, as I said, replaced by uh, Trummy Young. He went to the Count Basie band and was writing for and playing for Basie at the time, although he was still supplying some arrangements now and then to Lunsford. Uh, the introduction to Pigeon Walk is interesting because it's identical to the introduction of the Basie tune Time Out, which was recorded about... Uh, three months before Pigeon Walk, so I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg on that one. If the Pigeon Walk arrangement had been in the Lunsford book for a while, he may have just taken that introduction and given it to Basie, or vice versa. He uh, was a good recycler of arrangements, that Eddie Durham. That also gave us some uh, guitar playing uh, by... Al Norris as well, some acoustic guitar playing. Before that, we had that incredibly virtuosic arrangement of Put On Your Old Gray Bonnet, which featured several members of the band. We heard uh, Norris again on guitar, along with Mose Allen on bass taking solos, uh, some Joe Thomas on tenor sax, some nice trades between Willie Smith on clarinet and Eddie Tompkins on trumpet, uh, vocal by uh, Eddie Tompkins with some commentary by Willie Smith and Joe Thomas in there. That Willie Smith arrangement also featured a, a, a very uh, tricky clarinet trio with Uh, Smith Thomas and Earl Carruthers and we started out that set with uh, the tune I'll See You In My Dreams Edgar Sampson tune arranged by Eddie Wilcox again Joe Thomas on tenor Willie Smith on alto and Paul Webster on trumpet and that featured Dan Grissom on vocals as did Melancholy Baby So that's the first podcast of our Lunsford DECA series. We're going to be putting up another one pretty soon uh, from the radio show I do on WETF that will feature the arrangements of Cy Oliver and all of the players that we've heard so far. So I hope you're enjoying this little Lunsford tribute. I figured I couldn't do it in just one podcast and we're not even talking about the recordings they made for Columbia or Vocalion or Victor or some of the later ones in the 40s Um, we'll pick up Lunsford's story on the next podcast so thank you again for joining us this is the Jazz Focus, my name is John Clark if you'd like to sponsor us please do so Uh, you can see that little button somewhere on your browser about sponsoring us once a month or uh, on a one time basis whatever you like so until the next time, I'll see you on the other side